Welcome everybody to today's episode of Sam Talks Telehealth. I'm super excited for this episode. I'm interviewing Dr. Aditi Joshi. She's an ER physician and has been in the telehealth space first in an industry and then an academic. So it's a great interview where she's talking about all different kinds of things, the future, how we can really support the clinicians and what is normal that we could potentially go back to. So we'll get right into the interview. All right, Dr. Joshi, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Sam Talks Telehealth. Hi, Sam. So nice to be here. Yeah, I'm going to, we always kick right into it in the show. And so you and I, as I mentioned in my intro, you and I know each other through social media. It's really our first opportunity to get a chance to talk to each other. You've got a ton of experience in this space. So why don't you first give a little bit about what you've done in the past and um, what you're up to now? Absolutely. I'll give the short version. So I am Aditi Joshi. I am an emergency medicine physician. I joined a startup in 2013 in telehealth after four years working only in the emergency department. Uh, and I was one of their first physicians and there was a lot of clinical experience I gained. And we also did and started out figuring out what clinical pathways, what is needed for quality in telehealth. And then I moved on to an academic center in 2016, Thomas Jefferson, which had a huge program. And there I did almost anything you could think of to try out telehealth because it was so new and they had the hunger and need for research and for trying out new programs. So we had telehealth in almost every department. And um, we did, uh, me personally, I did our direct-to-consumer platform, uh, helped lead our teletriage program, which was new at the time in the emergency department, and uh, did operations, quality assurance, performance improvement, uh, I ran uh, electives for medical students, residents. I ran a telehealth fellowship, one of the first accredited in the country. And I trained a bunch of physicians as well. Uh, aside from that, we had outside vendors come, would pitch to us ideas, working with what kind of devices we wanted to do, all from a very academic point. Uh, I will say that Jefferson had a lot more of a startup mentality, but it was still academic. There's a lot of research. We need a lot of evidence. Uh, and of course, we still had people who didn't believe in it. So there was a lot of that interesting things. And now uh, I just left there a couple of months ago, and now I'm doing some consulting with a group called Panda Health. And we're really looking at creating a portfolio of the telehealth companies out there to determine what are people supplying? And if you're a health system looking for a telehealth solution, what is out there? What is the best company for you? So it's a really great project. Uh, very interesting to see what's out in the market. And it's grown significantly, as you know, in these last few years. Yeah, it's definitely one of those fun things where you come back around now and people like you and I are like, whoa, this would have been awesome five years ago, <laughs> but there's just this rapid acceleration. So with that in mind, what do you see as like the greatest area of expansion, you know, in the broad definition of telehealth, but just say in the next 24 months, because I think things can change so fast, it's hard to go much farther than that. Yeah, the, the, the biggest answer everyone keeps saying is remote patient monitoring. I think that's true, but I always think of remote patient monitoring in terms of telehealth. Maybe I'm biased, but also anything that you're trying to do that's going to adjunct or add to all the remote care we're doing is going to be part of that. So when we're talking about remote patient monitoring, to me, it's just a natural next step of the first easy way or the first type of implementation of telehealth that we were doing for the home. So I do see that expanding, but what I think is really gonna happen in the next 24 months, there's going to be this redefinition of what is healthcare. 
uh, within those programs? What is the scope of practice of physicians? What does it mean for patients at home? What kind of devices are necessary? What is the Wi-Fi, the connectivity? It's really gonna take a good look at what is out there right now and redefine what we need to do to create something more equitable and really just accessible for everybody. The pandemic really showed us our gaps. It really also showed us the uh, potential of using telehealth. And so I think these next 24 months are gonna be interesting on that. So I'm answering it in a bit more existentially than maybe you were asking, but I really do think that's going to be important. It's taking that step back and saying, now that we know some of this information, what are we gonna do next? Yeah, I think that- mean? Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. It's I really see that care redesign. And I think that idea of remote patient monitoring, yeah, that's just more what's what can it overall look like and how can it really change? And and certainly what we see of everyone pushing into remote patient monitoring is, you know, when you create a CPT code that reimburses, you then create a market. And so that's what we've, you know, although those RPM codes came in in 2018, 2019, people really were still apprehensive of them. And now it's like full force. Absolutely. Uh, and there is a market for it. People have been using them anyway. Some people, people who've had access to it, who looked at it, but without having it part of your healthcare, you're not really getting the answer to what does that mean for you at home? Then people read about it, they may not get the right information, it may not make sense in the larger context. We just need to do a better job of figuring out what to do with all these devices and what the data is bringing us. Yeah, absolutely. Because always, you know, if you just have a bunch of data, but you're not doing anything with it, it doesn't help the provider and it doesn't help the patient. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you think? I mean, you've trained students, you've trained docs, you've trained all these different level of healthcare providers. So what do you think clinicians really need like now in this next 12 months to have awesome telehealth services? So the pandemic was a really great time for people to just get their feet wet in a very quick manner to see what it is. Now, most people had to do some version of telehealth who are practicing. Then there were others who maybe just heard about it, whatever it was. So I really think what they need now is an ability to know what is a quality visit. I will say from the beginning of the pandemic to even eight months in, there was a whole lot of research studies looking at just efficacy of telehealth, but also safety. There was a number of uh, research articles on how you do a physical exam way more than it had been for the last few years. So those questions are being answered because in the end, part of the fear is, are we really doing a disservice to our patients by not seeing them in person? And clinicians do not wanna do anything that's gonna put their patients at risk. So they need to know that that is going to be safe for them. And then two, what are those quality standards? We really don't have them. And so that's going to be an important, important thing to do. And it goes back to your first question. You know, When we're trying to redefine all of this care, that's going to be part of it. What does it mean now that we have these technologies? What is quality care? Is it going to be different? Uh, do we need to rethink the way they te we teach and practice? Are we just assuming this is probably the best way to do it, but don't really know? Probably, right? That's just, we've been doing it for decades the same way. So we just assume it's the right way to do it. But I think that's what they're going to need to do. And on the flip side, clinicians also just need a little bit of hope, maybe. I don't know if that's the exact word I mean. But what I mean by that is that even though this is going to be part of their future healthcare, it doesn't mean that they're not necessary. There's a lot of fear out there that they're going to be replaced by a machine 
but that's not really how healthcare works. It's not really what patients need for us. And things change all the time, right? We just have to decide, are we going to be part of that change? And so if you want to be part of that change, it depends. You just got to figure out how are you going to make it part of your practice? What do I need to learn from it? There are so many tools out there. There's people working on it. You know, you just got to find out or allow someone to teach you or allow someone to give you that information that you need. Yeah, let's go a little deeper on that, that sense of the, the hope, because I think that's really important. Certainly having been in this for a decade is sometimes there's this perception, oh, Sam, are you just trying to make us all robots? Like, no, because mm-hmm. the art of medicine is human, right? That these other tools can just allow you to potentially practice more at top of license or to automate these really minor tasks that really shouldn't be using your time. How do you, because we always know doc to doc is the best way to have those conversations. How do you talk about that with docs? So they realize we're not trying to make you all robots and that's, that's nowhere part of the goal. Just recognizing those concerns. So as an example, uh, I'm the chair of the telehealth section for the American College of Emergency Physicians. This past year, we wrote an entire task force. And one of the sections was the changes to the workforce. When we published it, there has been a lot of questions, some fear, but a lot of questions. What does this mean? Does this mean that emergency medicine is going to be out of our hands? Is it going to be practiced by other clinicians? Because, and what does it mean for our supervision? Is it is it really okay for us to do a telehealth visit and see a patient that's in a rural area that doesn't maybe have access? Does that really mean that they're getting emergency care? So these are the type of questions and concerns that people have. Now, I'm an emergency medicine physician, right? And I can just come back to them and say, I understand your concern. I know what you're saying. Uh, And also nobody in our section or people who work in it are uniform in the way we think. And we're not always just some radical well, not, I was going to say tech bros, but radical in the way that we are just trying to change medicine too. We also see patients. We understand that. So just even having that recognition of that fear, I think is a first step. And then saying, well, what are you comfortable with, right? What is your concern exactly? And let me see if I can uh, give you an answer or at least tell you this is how it has worked for me. This is how it's worked in research. This is how it's worked for other people. Uh, I used to give a lecture uh, probably circa 2016 or 2018 about the five biggest myths of telemedicine. And I would give it to clinicians and because it was always the same things that people told me. Patients don't want it. I can't do a physical exam. There's the same things. And so, uh, you know, we extensively write about it. I made a telemedicine physical exam course. All these things can be answered uh, when you just know what the concern is the larger scope of what's going to happen to our healthcare system when more of this is reimbursed, who we have to train and educate. Yes, I get that concern, but we have we are constant students. We have to do CME, medicine changes. We change our practice based on research or new medications. It shouldn't be too scary to be learning even more to better our practice, to stay with the world as it's changing. Yeah. Let's go for a second on the quality measure. So what I see, you know, what what I've seen through the past is like, well, a telemedicine visit gave this many prescriptions. We think that's over prescribing. My question is always, well, did we compare what happened in person? So how do you pick these quality measures where you're not holding telehealth to a higher standard or that you actually make sure if we're going to say, does it do X, Y, Z, then we have to look is in person. Do we, do we look at the quality of in-person in the same way? 
When we created quality measures for Jeff Connect at Jefferson, we really used the same quality measures and just added some things in. So if we're looking at a quality assurance program, there were some tech measures that were added that were obviously not for in-person, but you could kind of think of them as in-person. How long did it take to see your provider, right? That's also an in-person measure. But if we're talking about prescriptions and things, we do use the same standards. Uh, are we overprescribing antibiotics? I think this is a common thing that people talk through. The answer is, uh, it's probably in the beginning, maybe, but the reality is we didn't actually have the comparison of what people might have done in person. The reality is a lot of people overprescribe antibiotics, even in person. What happened when we did a study at Jefferson, this was years ago, and it's a small study, but we basically compared for two uh, complaints, antibiotic prescriptions between the ER, between our urgent care and between and uh, our telehealth. And uh, the urgent care and telehealth did better than the emergency department. We were using the same doctors. We thought we could, it's a fair comparison. And the reality, it has probably less to do with the, pay, the doctors not knowing in that case, but really about the way that you're giving care. Over a telehealth visit, people would get less angry if they're waiting two minutes versus four hours in an emergency department not to get an antibiotic. And at some point, if you're, you know, even if you're getting yelled at in telemedicine, which has happened to me when I haven't given an antibiotic, it's a lot less, um, direct in your face and you can hang up if someone really becomes abusive. I'm not saying that happened most of the time. Most of the time, what I was able to do is really take that time because I was not distracted by 10 other patients in the emergency department to sit and have a conversation with the person and be like, this is why. And that actually is invaluable because you have that time to really sit there and say, this is why I'm doing that. So that was one thing about the overprescription. I will say too, though, that uh, there has been a number of concerns, especially out of pediatrics about this, mm -hmm. uh, but you can actually set the standard, right? So if you basically say when you're doing a telehealth vis visit, you are to the same standard as you would be in person. So do not prescribe antibiotics that are not necessary. Absolutely do not give antibiotics for an ear infection that you haven't examined the ear for. It, it was, it's, you know, people used to do that when I first started and it was, I mean, I, couldn't believe it. Um, but you know, things like that, you just set the standard. And now that telehealth is much more out there, people are doing it, they're really thinking about quality. I think this will be less of a problem when you first start out and people, and especially clinicians, and I understand how this happens, but basically you are looking at this patient as someone who's paying to see you in a modality you're not used to doing. You feel this burden a little bit of trying to make them happy when the, by giving them an antibiotic is actually going to do them harm, right? It's not standard of care. It's not the right thing to do. So you want to make sure that you're, you're understanding that portion. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I appreciate that again, idea of that's what we talk about is there already is a standard of care. This is just a tool to deliver healthcare. Let's use those same standards. And then again, if we need to tweak some of the information, so we're making sure it's virtual based, we can do that, but this isn't unique and distinct medicine. It's a tool to deliver the same totally. clinical care. So last question, what advice do you give docs that say like, man, I can't wait till we can get back to normal and all my people can come in here in person? Which normal are you referring to? Because <laughs> when pre-pandemic, we can't go back there. Uh, we have changed dramatically the way we think, the way the world looks to what we have conversations about. There was no way two years ago that public health and 
uh, viral load was something that people talked about who are not uh, in medicine or in virology or infectious disease at all, right? Now people have an idea of what that means. So there's no really going back. Also, we haven't gone back for other ways that tech has affected our life. I have no interest in walking into a bank if I don't have to. I had to last week and I was, I haven't been in a bank and I don't know how long, but it was just, it was really because something I could not do online. So I had to go and I will tell you, I was not happy about it. Um, but obviously, you know, you have to do it sometimes. And while I am not saying that we are gonna go hundred percent virtual, of course, that's impossible. There are so many ways that the world has changed. And again, you either are part of it or you're not part of it, but it's a disservice to you uh, and you're in just the world if you're not going to be part of it and just understand this is where we are. Uh, there is no going back to normal. You can try it, certainly. There are probably going to be those out there that uh, want to go back 100% to their in-person. They might be successful in doing that. But I think the reality is even those who would prefer going back uh, more to in-person, there's still going to be some version of virtual care part of their practice just for practical, practicality. It's way more practical for them in some ways. Uh, once you recognize how you can use it and how you can use it efficiently, then you're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I really want to appreciate and thank you for coming on the show. Um, great to actually get to see each other in you know, live video as opposed to only audio or Twitter. So Dr. Joshi, thank you so much for coming on Sam Talks Telehealth. Thanks for having me, Sam. And that's it for this episode of Sam Talks Telehealth. Isn't it awesome to get a chance to talk to providers, learn what they're doing, how they're doing it, and what they see as the future. Don't forget to like, subscribe to the podcast so you know when we're dropping everything new. And of course, you can always visit me personally on telehealtheasy.com. We'll see you back here next time.